Hey everyone, Brian Zimmerman here, host of Jazz's Backstage Pass. Now, before we get into today's episode with Matume, just wanted to thank our monthly sponsor. That would be Eric Baldwin. Eric, thank you for making this show possible. If you too would like to become a monthly sponsor of Jazz's Backstage Pass, just click that link in the show notes. You'll be well on your way. All right, let's get into today's Miles Monday episode with percussionist Matume. All right, what's going on, everybody? Brian Zimmerman here, executive editor of Jazz's Magazine and host of Jazz's Live. Welcome to Monday, another week of Jazz's Live programming. And of course, we start off the week this week, as we do all weeks, with Miles Monday, the day of the week. We celebrate the life, the legacy of Miles Davis. Uh, we will be joined in this endeavor by my faithful co-host, that would be the one, the only, Vince Wilburn Jr., nephew of Miles Davis and a fantastic drummer and band leader in his own right. Uh, and we've got another special guest today. That would be M. Tume. M. Tume is a Grammy-nominated percussionist and songwriter who you know from his namesake group m Uh, they had a bunch of hits but juicy fruit i'm sure you know uh from being sampled by biggie smalls and a bunch of other hip-hop artists he was also the percussionist in miles davis's band from 1971 to 1975 and he is just one of music's deepest thinkers i mean especially when it comes to how social movements and music intersect uh this is something that he and miles really bonded over um and it's something we're going to talk about because it is so important now more than ever. So he's going to be here in a minute along with Vince. Uh, and before we get into that, I just want to remind everybody watching that about our fall 2020 issue, which is already mailed to subscribers. It's all about the art of the album. We get into some Miles Davis in this issue for sure, talking about how Miles really helped kind of pioneer the concept album. Uh, out to subscribers, but you can read all this content online. You'll need a digital subscription to do so, and we're offering one for 99 cents. Just 99 cents per month for three months will get you unlimited access to all of our digital content. We'll also enroll you to receive a complimentary print issue when we send the next one out in December. So now is the time to subscribe. All right. Without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, welcome my co-host, Vince Wilburn Jr. and today's guest, M. Tume. Hey, guys, you there? Up, man. Yes, sir. Hey. What's up, Brian? What's up, Tombs? Good, my man. What's up, man, Vince? What's going on? Hey, man, I'm hanging. <laughs> Jersey. 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 Yeah. Yeah, how's everything going up there for you? Everything's fine, you know. Yeah. I'm dealing like y'all dealing every day, one day at a time, man. That's exactly right. You know, like I, I always told people, the Democrats could never beat beat Trump. It was the COVID. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, man. But you're healthy, you know. That's great. You've appreciate you here talking with us. We've got a lot of miles to talk about, um, and I want to get into that definitely. But uh, and to me, I want to talk about you and your upbringing first, because I know you come from an incredibly musical family. Yes, um, so I would love to hear just about the origins of your career in music and how that all got started for you uh, from well, an early age. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, I was very fortunate as, as, as a kid growing up, man, because uh, uh, my biological father is uh, Jimmy Heath. Of the famous Heath brothers, wow, and sure. Percy and and Tootie Coomba Heath, and uh, the father that I say raised me was James Hengate's foreman, who was also an exceptional pianist who also played with Bird and uh, a, a Dizzy, and also played wow. with uh, you know uh, Dinah Washington and, La and Lady Day, and uh, 
Clifford Brown, etc. Right, so wow. I came up like some like I, I well Vince was very familiar with this. He, he experienced the same thing at right. nine, ten years old. Maybe one day at the dinner table on Sunday, there's Thelonious Monk. Another day there's John Coltrane. Then there's Dizzy. Then there's Sonny Rollins. You know, and uh, so I grew up in it. But I also shared the uh, let's say the sensitivity of being a teenager. Cause I was into the R&B, you know, that was coming into play that, at that right. point. They had uh, Fats, the, uh, Domino, uh, Frankie Lyman was was like the hippest thing then, Will Richard, you know, et cetera. Right. So I came up in both worlds. And you grew up in Philadelphia, right? Man, you better. So well, <laughs> <laughs> where really? those two, I mean, jazz and, and, and R&B in Philadelphia were like, you know, yeah. siblings tighter yeah. than in any other city. There's so yeah. much crossover. And so when cats like Thelonious Monk, you know, and Dizzy were sitting around the dinner table, were they like superheroes to you or were just like, you know, house well, kids? <laughs> first, first of all, that's a great question. It wasn't so much superheroes as I keened and, and keyed into the conversations after dinner. You know what I mean? The dinner is one thing. You know, I'm all ears. I'm like a little sponge. And, uh, but I used to listen to the conversations after to see, you know, uh, Monk talking about harmonics. Even though I wasn't old enough to be that hip, I understood I was in the presence of greatness. That's what I understood. It was, I wasn't in awe of hero worship. I was in awe of genius. Oh, beautiful, man. And so when did you start playing? Because you're a percussionist. Percussion, yeah, well, that's your main axe, right? Yeah, that was my main axe, but I, yeah. I played keyboards. I started with keyboards. Okay. I, I, I still, there was always a Steinway in the house. You know, uh, uh, the man, the, the, the father that raised me, James Engage Foreman, was a piano player. So I always had a Steinway. And it, I, I think around 10 or 11, I found out I could hear things and go to the piano and begin to pick out chords. So I had what they would call natural ability. And uh, I just expanded on that. And then year, a few years later, uh, my uncle uh, uh, Tutti Kumba uh, bought me a, a, a Kumba. And that was it. So the piano gave me my melody con conception and, and the drum gave me my beat. Right on, Tombs, man. you started off on piano. Melodic beats. <laughs> Tombs, you, you started off on piano. Yes, sir. Okay, okay. Okay. All right. And, and then once you got the conga, that one conga it was you were hooked. Yeah, man. Look, between one that, drum. Yeah, yeah, one drum, just one. <laughs> and, that, and then I merged that with 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 the piano. Now, as a matter of fact, I was telling somebody the other day, uh, growing up with with both of those. But you know, the piano is a percussive instrument. Yes, that's right. Having a sense of chords, chords and melody made my approach to the congas different from anybody else. And Vincent can tell you that. I believe it, man. And that's something you have in common with Miles, because I've always said about Miles that he understood the power of rhythm in like an improvised line, you know, as a trumpet player, more than a lot of other trumpet players. He like uh, what Miles Davis phrase is beautiful just for its rhythmic placement, as much as it is, you know, harmonically, just the rhythm of the thing. It's like speech. It's beautiful. I'll give you an example. Uh, that, that, that's, an, again, a very important point. I'll tell you how he heard rhythm. And you may may or may not have heard this from anyone else. He called me one day, and Vincent said, man, you know, Miles and I's relationship was very, very close, uh, on and off the stage. And uh, so he called me one day, man, asked me to come over. He wanted to take me to a Knicks, a Knicks game, Brian. So I said, oh, man, okay, cool. I'm a basketball man, Philadelphia, you know, 
basketball and boxing. So I run over. So we go to the game. So we sitting there, whatever, we had popcorn, whatever. And I'm noticing Miles is not looking at the game. Dig this. So probably about halftime, I'm like, yo, man, you're not nudging. Look, you're not even watching it. He looked at me. He said, man, I don't come to basketball games to watch the game. I come to hear the sound of the sneakers against the wood. Wow. He said, those are rhythms. You know what he told me? I want you to learn how to play like that. Those are broken rhythms. Now, how, wow. how zen is that, man? Powerful, man. The next time, you'll never watch a basketball game the same, man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> cancel out the speakers. I mean, the, uh, the, uh, the cat's talking. Just listen to the floor. There's <laughs> rhythm, rhythm, in, rhythm in the sneakers. And that's what he told me. I want you to learn how to play with that. They're broken rhythms. Oh, that's beautiful, man. I guess you could say the same for boxing, too. It's, fine. it's about finding rhythm, breaking rhythm. up that's the other guy's rhythm. That's right. You know? Yeah. Very cool. Basketball example is something, man. And anybody who listens to this, the next game you watch, just listen to those sneaks. That's wild. That's wild. So when did his music first enter the equation? Like, what was some of the first Miles tracks you oh, really no, kind of like glommed onto? I, I got to say this. I, I was a complete, you know, jazz freak. But I yeah. was, since I can remember, you know. So uh, with Miles, I mean, the first album that really just knocked me out was Milestone, you know, maybe I was 11 or something, and it came out, and I made it my mission to be able to scat all the solos on every song. Wow. And that's how deep it, it, it was for me. So I could scat everybody's solo, piano player, you know, uh, a bird, uh, not bird, uh, Cannonball and a Train and Miles, I could scat all their solos. And I remember, you know, back in the day, music appreciation class, you had to bring two records. So I brought Frankie Lyman to cover, you know, that's the, that was what was happening, Why the Fools Fall in Love. Yeah. And I brought Milestone. And I remember when the teacher put on Frankie Lyman, everybody knew, everybody was like, oh! <laughs> when they put on Milestone, it was like Dr. Death had walked in. Everybody, nobody was dancing. And it was that point that I realized jazz was an acquired taste. Were people uh-huh. listening to those? Were they, were they tuned in? Were they checking in? No, no, it was, yeah, like, was sixth grade, like, man. You know, so they could, they could, they couldn't hear it at that, that, that point, man. You know, but Frankie so you Lyman. Were you were messing people up in fifth grade? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fifth, fifth, something like that. Turning people on their ear. Yeah, I'm trying to take more yeah. milestone, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but you had it, man. No, that's yeah, a beautiful I, thing. It was so natural to me that, to me, it was no difference between why the fools fall in love and milestone. But like what? I said. I learned then it was an acquired taste, jazz. Because you know what? If you listen to, because you mentioned the scanning, and this reminds me of something. You know that was that vocalese version of Freddie Freeloader they did? Yeah, yeah. Right, with George Benson, I think right. John Hendricks. Right, right. If, if listening to the Miles solo on that, you know, there's this cat, his name is Freddie. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like the dude is just telling a story, yeah, talking, yeah. you know, yeah. just so natural. Um and I think that just says so much of Miles' ability to communicate. You know, his sound, his solos were just like, you know, vessels for what was inside. You know, he was a storyteller. I used to tell, I used to not tell, I used to listen to him tell cats to listen to Frank Sinatra. For Frank, yeah, for, he used, to, he used yeah. to listen to Frank for phrasings when he was That's coming. Right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, Miles hey, listened to Frank for phrasing? Oh, yeah. 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 Frank Sinatra. Patience. Wow. I lay behind the beat sometimes, man. Yeah. You know, and yeah. just placement, placement. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, man. Two, I, mean, I, got two, I got two questions. Yeah, 
Get this out. Share with our listeners and our, and our viewers about the, the time you were in the elevator. Oh. You were playing for three hours. And then uh, uh, the, the, the contrast in one night. I think you shared with me that they were throwing eggs. Then the next night. Oh, okay. That was, that, that was in. Uh, two quick okay, questions. Let me get the first one. Uh, first, we okay. were playing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the first one we were playing a, a gig in uh, uh, Denver, Colorado. We were in this big hotel, and the club was at the bottom of the hotel. So we were all staying there, obviously. So we go down there one night, and the set last one set, we just got into it. You know, we went out into the universe and we played for three hours. And it was the first time in my life, my life I ever felt the stage levitate. Now, I'm not into those spooky stuff. You know what I mean? I actually felt the stage levitate. Wow. And when we finished, everybody walked off the stage to the elevator. Everybody got in. When we got in, Miles fell on the elevator, just stretched out on the floor. Hmm. Nobody said nothing. Nobody said, man, can, you, can I help you? Was, no. <laughs> we, we didn't speak to each other. Each cat got off his, at his floor. We didn't even say, all right, good night, nothing. There was no words. It was like a collective orgasm, man, yeah. that overtook everything. Speech wasn't even relevant. It's like you left it all on the yeah. stage. Yeah. Three hours, man. Three stage. hours, man. And the stage did this. We, 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 we'd broken through a zone. Wow. So were you wondering, like, what just happened after the concert? Yeah. Like, we, like, you know, kind of, kind of wondered, but you knew what you, what you mm -hmm. didn't know was what kind of words do I use to describe this? Right. Deeper you know, level of communication. Yeah. yeah. Say, oh, it was an exaltation? No. Right. No. Right. A dream? No. We were, it was, it was existential, man. Wow, man. When you're plugged in that deep on stage, there's nothing yeah. left to say. Yeah. 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 No. Because he had an uncanny way of, of, of knowing, you know, like vibing with the guys on, on the bandstand first and then the audience. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, but it was always about um, the the band members. The, right? he looked at the, the band was the organism. That's and right. He, That's right. He would, he would tap into the organism before he turns his attention to the audience. And I, I, I remember, Tombs, you were saying that he he had you close to him, and set and up on stage. Yeah, and that that's wow. that, that was another thing. That was probably not probably it is the first time in the, the history of Miles Davis. That he would put a hand drummer up in front of in, in front of the stage. Usually, the percussion is, is in the back next to the drummer. Right. Mm -hmm. When Miles first uh, uh, came to hear me, I was playing with a Freddie Hubbard at the Vanguard, and he called me like two days later, and I went over to the crib, and he said uh, the one thing that he, he said many things, but the one thing that he said that actually brought tears to my eyes, literally, he said, "Look, I want you to bring my Tony." And I knew he met Tony Williams, which mm -hmm. meant my role was for us to rumble and, and to fill in all the spaces, you know, because Tony be the precision. Mm -hmm. And uh, Vincent knows Vincent was there as a young man. He saw it. Uh, sometimes he stopped the whole band and me and Miles would just go. Blah, 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 blah. And we end up on the same knee, no, beat. Bah! When he finished, I finished. Sometimes I know exactly where he's, what note he's going to play next. But he knows what beat I'm going to play. 
Right on, man. And so how old yeah, were you at the time? We were boxers. That's the other part. You know? it's, a bo- it's a boxing thing. Exactly. Yeah. So how old were you at the time? So you were gigging with Freddie Hubbard. Well, I was gigging. With everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. I, uh, my first gig when I came to New York, I, w- I was living in L.A. Uh, uh, and me and a uh, uh, brother in Dugu, Leon Chancellor. Yeah. And Dugu lived around the corner. Uh, I moved back to Newark in uh, 70 and uh, to work on the Ken Gibson campaign. That was the first black mayor ever elected on the East Coast in Newark. And uh, just so happens when I got back, cats had heard that I had left the West Coast and I was now here. First call I got was from McCoy Tyner to record on an album. Then it was Freddie, uh, Sonny Rollins, uh, Joe Henderson, I mean, Woody Shaw, I mean, all the cats. And then I got the call from Miles, and that was it. So it was something. It was something he heard in you playing with Freddie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. exactly. And he said, he if, he did, if he didn't make it to a club, he would have somebody like go out and and, and check out who was hot, you know? talent scout, right, you know, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, well word had been getting back to him. And remember, I was playing okay. with Gary Mark too, and Gary was at that time the alto player in the band. So, that, right. so he did. He's getting all these smoke signals, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when he mm-hmm. came out of the Emmy, he said, Man, I mean, I remember I do, the too. Did he have you? Did he direct on what you, you had the freedom to create, yeah. right? So it wasn't like, you know, it's, you, no. you had card, you could do what you want. I could create. do what I want. Yeah. It, it, it was, it, in that case, I would say ultimate trust. Yeah. It's like yeah. Miles gave me the canvas. I just had to bring my own paints. So would you, add, you would add instruments, right? You would add instruments. Oh, yeah, Dr. DiBello, you know, the African <laughs> yeah. world drum, stuff like that. Right. Uh, <laughs> I remember when we went to uh, Japan in 73, uh, Yamaha wasn't making instruments back then. They had just started. So Yamaha, so everybody in the band, like Reggie and Pete, picked guitars. Michael got a bass. Al got some drums. I told them to give me this the new Yamaha rhythm machine. And I took that back to the crib and I started experimenting with mixing rhythms against rhythms. Like if I press the samba, with mm-hmm. the, press the funk button next to that. So these two beats are going on together and then running through like a, a, a wah-wah pedal and a phase shifter. Mm. What did you think of that? How, 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 how did it come to you? That's part of the gig. <laughs> think, man. <laughs> You know, wow. everybody else was using the drum machine. To, 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 no, I would sometimes, and sometimes I would just lean on it, like, and I got that from Sunrise, lean on all of them. So yeah. you have six different rhythms playing against each other, going through a phase shifter with a wow wow. What is that? And Miles was hip to that, huh? Loved it. <laughs> Loved Loved every, it. Every, every minute of it. Yeah, yeah ambiance, man. Yeah. I, the thing I think that was most, and I know you've had a lot of cats on here, man, talking about Miles, but. To me, the most important thing was his ability to absorb everything around him sound-wise. The ability to absorb, that's number one. The ability to abbreviate is number two. Mm-hmm. Most people play in what I call uh, a paragraphs, blah, 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 a bunch of notes. You know what he told me once? What's that? He said, out of the 10 notes, you know what the trick is? Find the two that implies the other eight. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, man. <laughs> you did? I'm yeah. High science now, okay? Deep, yeah. 
pick the two that imply the other eight. You don't have to play them eight. Right, man. Pick the two that are essential. Right. Snakes, <laughs> that is deep. Right. And so let's let's put this on a timeline too, because you that's played with Miles that's Davis. That's that's when you learn how to play in quotations. You play in quotes, and that's right. what Miles did. Sometimes we just be, hey, and we go, oh Lord, that's, the only, that's the only note you need, right? Yeah, but that one note to that one note <laughs> said everything. <laughs> yeah, that would be the note. And Tume, you were in the group from 1971 to 75, right? Right. So you did a bunch of touring. Were you on studio albums with? Uh... Yeah, yes. Yeah, okay. The first album I was on was on the corner. That's right. Okay. I joined, I joined him in '70. Okay. When we that tour, uh, we came back to New York, and then uh, I remember Miles called me. Like I said, my relationship with Miles and Vincent can confirm this was different from everybody else. It was more. I, I, I don't like that father son. It was big brother, uncle, all that, and mentor more than anything. Right. And uh, so Miles called me one day, Vince. You remember that that Indian restaurant he used to love up on 125th Street? 125th in Harlem. Yeah, in Harlem. So we rolled up there. Actually, first we did we watched some Jack Johnson of, uh, footage because he would always play some Jack Johnson footage. We roll up there. So we're sitting there for like two hours, you know, having lunch. So I'm like digging it. So we get up to walk out. First thing he turns to me, says, how'd you like the music? You know, he said, so what do you think? Now dig that, that's the question. What yeah. do I think? I'm yeah. thinking about what we ate, you know what I mean? He, went yeah. he said, what do you think about the music? Then I said, oh my God, we're Indian restaurant, you're hearing the sitars and the tablets. Ah, right. Then I dug, he said, yeah, that's where we're going on the next album. I'm gonna mix that with the funk. It's gonna be called on, on the corner. I know, man. And I mean, the way he thought of things, it's like always evolving. And that was kind of a pivotal year for him. Oh, yeah. Because like everyone else, people were used to the 50s, 60s, first, second great quintet yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, and you so you kind of came on at a pivotal year where yeah. he was really making a leap, you know, no, evolving music. That year was the year he left Earth and went to the next planet. Yeah. <laughs> we wasn't here, you know, and yeah. it was amazing. Uh, the amount of uh, resistance from the older quote unquote crickets, as, as Vincent knows, I don't call them critics, cricket. <laughs> you know, they just make sounds. Yeah. You know? But yeah. uh, we had challenged everybody's notion of how music can be presented and how it can sound. I always looked at us when we played like a wave of sound coming at you, all these instruments. And, and, and here's a guy playing the trumpet to a wah wah. They right. were, I'm talking about, it, you can halfway understand it now. Put yourself in 1970, man. Right, right. I ain't talking Me about too. 2020, 1970. This stuff was I'm revolutionary. Still, I'm still trying to catch it. Yeah, baby. Because, you know, Brian, I used to be on the side of the stage and watch Alan Toombs and, and, and Michael right. and, 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 and yeah. Reggie, and, and it was like, it was mesmerizing me. It was yeah. like, what the heck just did I, did I just hear as a kid? Yeah. Right. So I can imagine, Tunes, what you would feel on stage, you know, playing the music. Yeah, man. And, and Pete Cozy and woof. Oh my God. So hey, Tunes, were you were you were you guys like writing while you were on tour, you know, before I you know when Miles took his hiatus? Yeah, yeah when Miles took the hiatus, as you know, Reggie and I we started writing and uh 
started producing. So the first production, uh, first opportunity was uh, when uh, when I left Miles, I joined Roberta Flack. And the first opportunity to do to, to do a song was The Closer I Get to You with her and Donny Hathaway. And then back together. And then the first four Stephanie Mills albums, Never Knew Love, What You Gonna Do With My Love and Put Your Body In It, Phyllis Hyman, You Know How to Love Me. I did a uh, Blue Raw Spinners, you know, Went into production and we so did you, about you all were like you all were like a writing like a it was it was I, I used to come to the studio and watch you guys that's right, record, that's right, right, right. you know because Uncle Miles was you know chilling at the pad right so I put him in call, call, call you said come on down to the studio that's right. and that's that was right. another mesmerizing uh um, um right um, um a moment that I witnessed under your tutelage <laughs> You're very kind, bro. No, no, I'm very real. Hey, Brian, but, so Michael Hanson's so aunt has some oatmeal raisin, James, man, oatmeal raisin cookies. Yeah, yeah, the oatmeal, oatmeal raisin, right. Go ahead. No, what were you going to say? American music, all that stuff, and golden oh. platinum. And then I decided, I didn't. I sat down one day, uh, Brian, at the piano, man, and tears started coming down my eyes. And I didn't know what was happening. And I stepped back away from the instrument. I realized, damn, this sounds like everything else I was doing. And it was at that moment, I call that my first Miles Davis challenge, because I know he must have had that moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm playing, this, this is kind of, and so I broke from it and I stopped producing. I said, I'm, I'm going to take a year off and not produce or write for anybody. Took, went and changed my band, which was another uh, law Miles, Miles personally told me. He said, when you change your music, you have to change your band because the cast that you have can't hear where you're trying to go. Right. So I changed right. the band, went in, came out with Juicy Fruit. Yeah. I, 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 I want to go in a completely different direction. No strings, no horns, just what I call neo minimalism. Hmm. Take I mean, Reggie had it. hits. Michael yeah. Henderson had hits. Right. He was doing it. Everybody was doing their thing, branching out. You we know. came from one river, brother. One river. Miles. Right. Miles. Right. Yeah. People are, a, I find it funny. People always say, how did you cats make that transition? Well, it's not something you think about. Right. It's the example that was set. He made transitions and, and took all kinds of heat for it. What I respected and learned from Miles more than anything, the first ingredient you need if you really want to try to ch challenge this stuff is courage. Right. A lot of musicians don't have courage. They have talent. They don't have courage. They know they're playing the same shit. I'm sorry, can we use that on it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah shit, yeah. <laughs> to be fearless. <laughs> to be fearless, too. That's right. So they know they're playing the same thing, man. Okay? Each album is just the, the repackaged same old water. It gets stale. My theory is when I cross a bridge, I burn it. I can't even go mm. back. If I burn it. Right. right. If you ain't got no rear view mirror, you can only go forward. <laughs> you did. Yeah. Burn man. that bridge, man. So you can't even. <laughs> right, right. You dig? And make right. sure you don't know how to swim. So you can't even swim back. You dig? Boom. <laughs> and that's yeah. what Miles did. But he did it over and over and over again. Nonstop. Never stood still. I can see how people could misconstrue that to think, oh, once he was done with this project, he just cast that those no, no. cats aside. No, it was my feeling is he had such a deep connection with these musicians for this project. Yeah. I mean, plugged in, just that thing you were talking about, communicating on a soul right. level, that if he wanted to try something new, you know, he had to find some new cats to do it with. Because- 
I'm gonna give you two things in line with what you're saying. Him knowing intuitively yeah. where you could go and you didn't even know it. Right. That's right. I remember That's a challenge, right. and he would do it with a challenge. I remember one day I was walking in for a session and he hands it out. And the notes and the sick time signatures are written in colors. So we could give the keyboard player a B flat minus seven in blue. You may give me uh, this this time is four four in red. Now you got to think. You look. You don't want to ask because if you're there, you know you you supposed to be hip. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> if the test was, do you understand what colors are in relationship to sound? Right. So the color to me would be if I'm the keyboard player, what inversion of that chord makes it orange? What inversion makes it blue? Mm. What kind of sound is a four four in red or yeah. four four in pink? Yeah, you dig? Yeah, now take painting. It, yeah. Take it, take it, and turn it around, man. Yeah, beautiful man. He, he would always make you think, right? Yeah, I remember he told me once, "Stop playing what you know." And then you've heard mm. cats. Uh, he said, "I got you. Got to learn to play what you don't know." Now it takes. And let me tell you how he set me up, Vincent. It was cold. It was beautiful. It was cold. <laughs> I'm gonna go square. And you know, he would, I would always close the show out. He let me take a solo. So when my first tour in Europe with him, I take this solo and you know, but come on, as musicians, you know, when you know you did it, so I'm my to nearly a minute, you know, like, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm walking off. When he walks up behind me, taps me on the shoulder and said, that wasn't shit. I said, but I deflated. But then yeah. he, as a, as a mentor would do, he said, no, it wasn't shit because you played it the same way. He said, use a different street to get to that destination. Wow. Mm. Then I understood it. He said, sometimes when you get into a rhythm, don't finish. He said, stumble a couple of times. Stumbling is hip. If right. you're doing it on purpose. I said, man. So then I tried to, uh, you know, perfect stumbling. There are no mistakes. Yeah. That's right. No. You know, right. another thing, when, when we would listen to board tapes after the concert, uh, and then he would ask us to try certain things. And we would, you know, amongst ourselves, amongst the yeah. other band members, we would just look at each other like, okay, okay. But we knew somehow, some way, whatever he said, it was going to work. Trust, and, trust. And, and next night, whatever he suggested, and we tried it, shh, the music just kept elevating. Yeah, man. You know, yeah. you know we I were know. doing pop tunes and doing, you know, you know what I mean? We were doing funk. Yeah, well, yeah, well, so I, I remember I read a review of one of one of y'all's concerts and I just started laughing. I said that that person didn't understand Miles always covered pop. What do you think someday my prince will do? That's what? Right. It was no way. I mean there's nothing to know about that. I mean he's yeah. always done that. Billy Boy. All that stuff, man. Tunes, we, so, we play D train. Something's on your mind. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Remember that by D train? We covered all that. It was, all know? it was was updating <laughs> what what contemporary popular was, but he'd always done that because for him, everything was about the melody. He always told me that's the tip of the iceberg, rhythm and all that. All that is the undertow, but the tip and the cherry, and that's why melody was so important to him. And uh, that's always been my main thing. I don't care what I got under, 
that cherry has got to be the melody right. and the ability to choose the right notes. Right. Who else That's could take Surrey with the fringe on top, man, and make yeah, it swing yeah, that yeah, hard? Yeah, you know what I mean? That's Best called hit friend. records, too. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hip, re hit records with a hip interpretation. <laughs> That's right. That you remember. That's right. That's right. You know, timeless. Timeless. One thing I hear you talk about a lot, M2MA, is, you know, I've, I've been watching videos, TED Talks and the like, how music, oh, wow. especially jazz, has intersected with social movements yes, sir. since its inception. And that's one thing you have in common with Miles Davis. Yes. You know, was he an icon, not just musical icon, now, now we're talking, you know, personal, political. Yeah, political. Was he an, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was Miles always an icon for you in that regard? He was an icon for me that way in the sense that he was an example I walk with. I mean, my other icons was Elijah Muhammad, you know, Malcolm, yep. you know, uh, Imam Baraka, Leroy Jones, people like that, who I later met. But Miles was there, and he was the example to me to show me that you can channel that through music. Your music doesn't have to say that, but you say that in how you represent the music. Miles always represented being black and being proud of being black. Look, look, I'll give you an example. You know the very first interview for Playboy, the very first issue, in the very first issue, mm -hmm. uh, you have to interview who? He said, I don't want to talk to anybody in the world but Miles Davis. Check the internet, it'll tell you. The wow. very first issue of Playboy magazine is you have to interviewing Miles Davis. Right. Tunes, what about the liberation wow. colors for the Yamaha? Remember when you oh, all got yeah. to deal with yeah. or the court, share that. No, oh, share okay. the, the, the cloth, the amp cloth. Oh, oh, oh you're talking about uh, uh, the instrumentation, our, our, our uh, sound system. No, the yeah, when you system. when he changed, he had Yamaha take the cloth off and change it yeah, to yeah, liberation yeah. colors. Red, black, and green. Now you know what that means. Yeah. Wow. Know? That's the liberation color. He's yeah. saying it without having to do it with words. It's, it's through the music. Well, and that's a really important point because one of the most fascinating things I've heard you say is that, you know, from the 50s to the 60s, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, music a lot of times was like representative of the social movement. Right. And, you know, you had cats like Bob Dylan who right. was like writing anthems for the social movement. The first yeah. anthem that I know. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the 70s. You know, when things kind of changed, where the music became the social movement. Right. It you was. know, and would you say, Miles, that whole period, which, again, a lot of people just don't understand, really. Would you say that was a part of it, of that's what was going on and Miles was tapping Absolutely. into Absolutely. that? Yeah. I mean, you know, let's not forget Miles' grandfather was a Garveyite. It's not like mm. nothing comes out of a vacuum. Right. I mean, he has all these influences, man. Right. He knows up. We would talk politics, man. I would say Miles and I talked at least four nights a week. I mean, somebody made, made a funny reference once. They said they go to all these other people, Vincent, asking what Miles was thinking. They said, but the cat that he talked to most was me. That's right. And, and, but no magazine has ever called. You know, I mean, <laughs> not that I care, but I've never been, been asked to do one interview about Miles Davis. But that's why I'm, I'm so glad that you came on this show. Really? Brian, you know, I don't come out like this. You know, I know, Tunes. I know, and I love you for it. And, and man, you you talk about politics. When when I see something on TV or I read something, I immediately call you and we and we chat. Right. Right. Talk yeah, about it. You know. Yeah. I want, I want to give you another one. I, I know we're getting cut off soon. No, 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 man. There's something, there's something I, I, I wanted, Vincent, I wanted to relate to Brian. Please, please. About the impact of Miles. And this goes back 
1970, 74. We're in Beirut, Lebanon, mm-hmm. playing a gig. Now, you remember at that time, there was a, a, a civil disruption between uh, Lebanon and uh, Israel. So there was an actual war going on. So the place that we played was called, it was in a place called Baalbek. And so we're there to play. Now, the president's son came near us. So that was already weird because he's bringing like 50 soldiers or something, 100 soldiers. And these cats surround everything with machine guns. So you know the music went way out. It was beautiful. I love it. Because the tent, it was so much tension in the air. Yeah. So we get off the stage and walk in the back. It was a big tent, you know, for us to, you know, to, to, to cool out and change in. And as I, we're talking, we hear this, and we hear these guns cock. And I'm like, oh man, we're gonna get it here like this? Yeah. This dude busts through. Now at that point, I don't know if this guy's got a bomb. You know, I you all this is happening. Over there. Yeah. 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 And all of a sudden he gets to Miles. Miles was sitting down, Vincent, and he falls and grabs Miles' leg <laughs> and says this. And I want everybody listening. I'm not paraphrasing. And says this. Now I can die. Oh, and I step back. I watched this. Yeah. He said, man, your music saved my life. Now, I don't know what other stories you've gotten from other people, but <laughs> I was standing there. Yeah. He said, your music saved my life. He said, I walked 60 miles. I saved up for months to buy, you know, to be able to, he was a poor guy. Yeah. I ticket to see. I never thought I'd ever get a chance to see. So his whole thing was, I don't care what's happening. I'm breaking through. Right. But he wanted to do that to grab Miles by the feet. Hey, man. Incredible. Ooh, that's heavy. Oh. That, 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 Tear that, me you, up. You yeah. know, talking about it chills me, man. I'm like, can you imagine? And it was that point for me that I understood you never know how your music affects people. The power of music. The power of music. I mean, yeah. I saw it's- a dude risk his life. Yeah. Ten. And so did that kind of help? Because I imagine leaving that group must have been tough. But, you know, when well, you've I, got I that much. Well, look, look, I, have to, I have to correct you. I didn't yeah. leave the group. Miles took a hiatus. Right, that's true. And the hiatus yeah. started to get longer and longer. And so, you know, I had to make a decision. Yeah. And my decision was, okay, I'm going to go try to break us into this uh, songwriting production team. I mean, when I left Miles, I had uh, two offers. Competing offers called me every, same people called me every day. Roberta Flack and Weather Report. Joe's Avenue would call me every day in Roberta. And, <laughs> and when I sat back to make the decision, I said, well, Weather Report comes from what I came from. Yeah. I always say, Miles was bitches brew and the rest of us was the broth. You know what I mean? So they come from the same brew I do. I wanted to do something different. So I chose to go with Roberta and it worked out. The first thing I write for her is the closer I get to you. We went on to do 5 million copies. So wow. I stayed there, but and Miles not taking that break. I don't know if I ever left. It was almost like being in a band with Sunrise. What you leave to what? Right, exactly, man. <laughs> you, you know, know? Duke Ellison's Duke <laughs> band. Them guys were together for 50 years. It's a family. It's a family. You had, you and Reggie had hits, and then I remember listening to a demo of Starship that Michael Oh, wrote. no, man. I, look, oh, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> you know too much. That's your problem. You know too much. <laughs> I remember I first heard Starship. It's so funny because me and uh, Santana was talking the other day. 
because uh, Santana was in my room. We were in Japan. And Michael was in his room and he called me. He didn't know Carlos was in my room. But I, he said, man, too, I need y'all to come up here. I, I, I got I got something. So I, I said, look, Carlos, why don't you come on up? We're going to go up to Michael. And then he called Reggie. So it was me, Reggie, and Carlos in Michael's room. And he played that bass line, do, do, do. And he said, yes, you are my starship. I said, Lord. <laughs> Fast forward, a couple years later, I'm walking down the boardwalk in Atlantic City, and somebody had a boom bop. And that was coming. I said, he did it. Because Norman, Norman recorded Norman, it, right? Norman, Norman Connors. Connors, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the first time he played it, Carlos Santana, myself, and Reggie Lucas was in the room in Japan. <laughs> Wow. Wow, man. It's incredible. Well, and hey, man, talk about just the legacy of your music, not the stuff, only the stuff you did with Miles, but just your influence on hip hop, too, which it makes sense in a lot of ways that, you know, toward the end of his life, Miles would gravitate toward hip hop. Because, again, I've heard you speak on this. Hip hop kind of became an extension of that social activism in the yeah. 80s, you know, um, and of course, Juicy Fruit lives on in, in <laughs> hip hop. <laughs> you know courtesy of biggie smalls but yes. uh do you think because we're in another and i encourage everybody you know we're talking to m Tumia here go look up these videos he has an excellent ted talk out on youtube right now but just listen to this cat talk about music like i say it's just you the way you think about music is is incredible man it, it's super enlightening um we're in a moment right now that you know is awfully divisive and do you see a reaction toward it or you know do you see it reflected in, in the music of our times or I, you know what? I don't know if I see it reflected in the music. Not like I saw it reflected in the music of the sixties and seventies. Right. I mean, right. James Brown, I'm black and I'm proud. Yeah, man. I mean, that's when all the revolts were going on, you know, yeah. uh, Curtis Mayfield always wrote, keep on pushing. Yeah. People get ready. Nina Simone, uh, uh, Young, gifted, and black, you don't have that kind of uh, in your face right. interpretation of a, a social activity. But I think what we're watching now, if anybody's really, really clocking this, you see it's the death of the two party system. Now, let me explain that for anybody who doesn't understand. This country is over 300 million people. Mm -hmm. Why are you still operating on a two party system? Yeah. Then, and all it is, is like, think of it in, in basketball terms. It's the East League and the West Coast League. Right. Every year they play for the championship, but it's just switches from one to the other. Right. There's a dire need now in America, more so than ever, for a third party or even a fourth. Most countries have three, four, five parties. Exactly right. Why does America only give you one choice? Right. Chocolate or vanilla. Right. Nobody has an ice cream score, store, a store, excuse me, that just sells two flavors. They got 31, 51 flavors. <laughs> so why are we locked in with no choice? So now what we've done, politics has turned into you take a corner, I take a corner. That's it. Never do we meet in between. Right. And, and it's not the parties. It's the need for the death of just two parties. Yeah. That's what's tearing us up. Yeah. There's no alternative to either one. Yeah. And trust me, I, I say this. Left wing or right wing, it doesn't matter. It's on the same bird. They just yeah. switch every four years. That's all. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, we see change a lot of times start with the artists, with the musicians. You know, they get people talking, they get people thinking. 
And we can only hope that's going to go. That's what's going to happen, you know. But and voting and voting and voting. Yes, let's vote, people. Let's vote. Well, I'm too, man. Hey, before we wrap, I'm I'd be curious to what you're working on now, what you've got going on. If people want to just follow up with everything M2 has got going on, what what can they expect? <laughs> man, what I've got going, I've got going on is I'm working on an album, a uh, release that we're gonna do on Tawafa Ag, who's our lead singer, so still sounds great, and you can even listen to her on. The, recent YouTube performances this year. Okay. But uh, you know, as Vincent knows, uh, I'm like in nothing but a part of everything. You know what I mean? Yes. And I, I don't really brag on anything I'm doing, but uh, you can reach me on uh, social media, you know, James M. Tumay, Facebook, you know. Right on. And like but I, I say, I'm a low-key yet. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, and I, I really encourage people, go check out those TED Talks, go check out those interviews. Um, because it's brilliant stuff, man. It is. I mean, we can spread the love. You know, we can spread the content. Yes, yes, yes. We can post that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. When we, when we put this up on our site. Red Bull, I, I do agree. That, that Red Bull, uh, when they invited me to Japan, I think that was probably the first time I did like a really serious covering my 40, 50 years, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. in the music. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, let's wrap with this, man. I always kind of like... I like to rap with a memory. You know, as you think back on those years with Miles, you know, you lean back on a Friday just thinking think, about you know I don't think back. They live with me. There you go. They live with me. They live with you. Is there a particular memory? I'm sure there are many. But that just, like, brings a smile to your face, you know what I mean, or makes you laugh or... We don't have enough time. <laughs> That's another show. What I was always guessed with was the, with the lessons. You know, and Vince can have told me that. The yeah. lessons. You dig? Yeah. It's the lessons that he dropped on you that you would actually learn years later. It would dawn on you. When, he, when he told me, I always heard the music. I laugh about that because yeah. I fast forwarded 20 years. Here I am scoring television and films. Yeah. You were not the first guy to say that, to say there was things he said to me, you know, 40 50 years ago yeah. that just that the seed just bought and i like i just got it you know yeah. if he was planting stuff back then that's still yeah, growing you know today I'll end it with this great story that okay. encapsulates miles we did we had just done vince we just done uh live at the philharmonic matter of fact they made an album of that miles live at the philharmonic mm -hmm. so afterwards uh, i'm in his dressing room and he and i are talking and they uh a, a critic, critic, a cricket runs in, <laughs> yeah, and and he runs in the room, and he's like, he was a uh, like a, a great follower of Miles, you know. He would say, "Oh man, Miles, every time you made change, you know, I was right there with you, you know." But but he said, "Man, but I I, I just don't know where you're at right now," and I remember sitting there, and Miles leaned back and said, "So what the fuck am I supposed to do? Wait for you to get in?" <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's this, it. This is where I'm at. Either you get here, or you're right, going. right. But don't, these don't ask me to wait. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's hey, Tunes. Yeah, I love you forever, baby. Thank nephew. Thank father. I sure will, man. Love to Twatha. Take care. An absolute pleasure, man. And I hope uh, the people listening got something from this. I hope I was able to bring something. We could do a part two. I sure as hell did, man. Yeah, absolutely. We do. Dude, come back anytime. Any it's time, like it's the living room. Just remember the sneakers, though. Next time you watch a ball game, that's right. That's, that's exactly right. right. And I will be watching Miami Heat. 
hopefully yeah. beat the Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA Finals. Sorry, Vince. I know you're a Lakers fan, but <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and to me, this was an absolute pleasure, man. We really appreciate it. We're gonna say goodbye to you and then sign off for people watching at home. Sal, y'all take um, care. Yep. Tune. See you later, to me. Love you, baby. So long. Love you, man. Bye. Bless it. All right, Vince. That was great, man. Thank you for hooking that up. And Tume, man, stories. I mean, it sounds like they were tight. It sounds like they were tight musically, personally. And I'm telling you, man, and doing my research for this interview, just hearing what Tume had to say, you know, about how music and social activism and politics intersect, it's uh, it's incredible. So yeah, yeah, go check that out. You know, absolutely. Hey, Jeff, man, because. I got to tell the listeners real quick before we were go- to go on, it was the guys are working on the garage and the, the lights were they were working with the electric. So it everything, happens, man. I was panicking, but Jeff, I love we you. Recovered. Thanks, Jeff. We recovered. This is jazz, man. Hey, uh, coming up on the show next week, we're gonna be talking with Antare, actor you know from The Shy, um, yeah. another yeah. big Miles Davis guy, and then the week after the nineteenth, again it's the Potash Twins. These are up and coming Food Network celebrities you know who happen to be amazing jazz musicians and so we're gonna be talking food miles was a big you know foodie and a great chef so yeah, hey, we cook up some bouillabaisse or something that's exactly right man so check out the merch on milesdavis.com shout there out to nick gator hey now right. stay Thanks, safe Jenny. stay healthy the new issue is out right now on jazzes.com. Uh, subscribe now. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. Many more Miles Monday to come. All right, Vince. Miles Davis online. Shop. Shop. Get your mask. Get your hoodies. Get, get some swag. Get the swag. Get swag, baby. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks for watching, Vince. A pleasure, as always. I'm going to call you tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, good news, I hope. All right, Vince. Peace, man. Peace, so man. Long, man. Have a good week. Bye. Hey, everybody. Wear your mask. <laughs>